For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Oklahoma voters approved State Question 802 to put Medicaid expansion in the Constitution, but it wasn't a slam dunk. The measure passed by fewer than 6,500 votes. Ryan, what's your take on the passage of this measure? Well, I mean, first of all, let's let's celebrate this victory. It's nearly a decade in the making uh, after a decade of failed political leadership in the legislature and among two different gubernatorial administrations. Now, we're looking at possibly 200,000 plus Oklahomans who are now going to have access uh, to health care. You know, this shouldn't be a privilege. It should be a right. And we're going to be bringing a billion dollars or better back to the state of Oklahoma that we've been giving away to the other states that have expanded Medicaid. I think we are one of 14 states that hadn't done this to this point. Um, so it's, I mean, it's a huge, huge win for the people of Oklahoma and in particular in rural Oklahoma. Uh, and, you know, a big congratulations to Amber England, who is the campaign manager for State Question 802. They did a, a magnificent job. I do want to eat some crow. I mean, last week, I, last week, I, and like I tell my son, you know, own your stuff when you, when you're, when you're wrong, own it. And, and, uh, and here I am, I, I need to own this. You know, last week I was on here saying that the, the last minute negative campaign money by the Koch brothers and private insurance industry uh, wouldn't make a difference. And oh my gosh, uh, it really activated the conservative uh, tribalism that exists in rural Oklahoma in particular. I mean, we saw that. I mean, these conservative rural voters, um, you know, came out and literally said no to the one thing that was standing in the way of their rural hospital closures. Uh, and, you know, this is, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty extraordinary to demonstrate like how strong tribalism has become. Um, and they got it, you know, those conservative voters, they got a twofer. They got to go out and say, you got to play the role in the, the Trump private insurance backed melodrama. Uh, and then they also got to save their rural hospitals. They were, they were saved. So, uh, that's a that's a huge disconnect uh, in in the vote right there. But you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether it passed by six thousand votes or sixty thousand votes. We're looking at two hundred thousand plus Oklahomans who are going to have access to health insurance now. Neva. Well, I think it will be interesting with the margin being as narrow as it was. There has been some conversation. I heard some last night. I'm sure there will be conversations ongoing today, looking at the uh, the, the results more deeply to see whether or not a challenge may ensue. And, and, and we'll know that obviously in a few days uh, uh, because the deadline will be at the end of the week. But uh, in, in elections like this that are closely contested uh, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of money, a lot of forces on both sides, I think we have to wait and see whether there is a, a, there is a challenge, whether it is on uh, just a recount or irregularities, or whether it doesn't doesn't happen at all, that remains to be seen. But you're right, Ryan. I mean, when you look at it and you see 70 counties, uh, primarily all the rural counties, uh, going no, and seven counties, the urban voters, uh, going yes, uh, that was, I think, a surprise, or at least it was something that was not being talked about by either side leading up to the election vote itself. So, um it, it clearly was uh, one of the most uh, developed campaigns on the on the on the uh, yes side that we've seen in a number of years, as we talked about. But the late money in all of these races, I think we saw, had a a very significant uh, uh, impact in terms of the actual votes that were cast on Tuesday. Ryan, do you think there will be a challenge to this? I mean, let's hope not. I mean, shame on the folks that came in and spent money against 802. I mean, th their money was effective. You know, I didn't last week I said that it wouldn't be and, and it turned out it was. 
their money was effective, but shame on them for doing that. I mean, we're, we're looking at, uh, a, a, you know, they've had 10 years, you know, if they wanted an alternative to Medicaid expansion, they have, they've had 10 years to do it. And the, the plain fact is they don't want an alternative to Medicaid expansion. They want private insurance or nothing. And, you know, this is a literally, this is a life or death situation for a lot of Oklahomans. This, you know, the 6,000 vote margin, I think is, is clearly enough. It's really hard to imagine that you're going to find that many irregularities to overturn this in a challenge. Let's let's let this move down the road. Let's let the legislature move forward with how they're going to fund this. And believe me, there's a way to fund it without raising taxes. It just happened this last legislative session, but the governor vetoed it. Uh, So let's let this move down the road and let's let 200,000 Oklahomans enjoy health care for the first time. But but let's remember, only 31 percent of all Oklahomans voted in the election on Tuesday. So uh, as we expected, it was a low primary voter turnout across the board. And I think when we talk about uh, people having an opportunity on both sides to make their make their voices heard, to make the impact by spending the money to make their case, uh, that's the give and take of elections. And I think we can't discount that, even when sometimes people don't like the results. The Republican race for Congressional District 5 is heading to a runoff in August. Terry Neese received more than 36% approval, while Stephanie Bice garnered more than 25%. They're vying to take on Democratic Congresswoman Kendra Horn, who easily defeated her challenger, Tom Guild. Neva, are you surprised by the results of this race? I'm not surprised. I mean, when you look at, uh, we knew that there were basically the top four contenders were Terry Neese, Stephanie Bice, uh, Janet Barisi, and David Hill. And those were the four top vote getters out of the nine-way primary uh, on Tuesday evening. And I think what we saw is uh, the the Nice-Bice matchup came largely as a result of club for growth and some outside groups coming in and and making a very concerted effort to to go on the attack uh, with uh, Stephanie Bice. Nice, who uh, by most accounts had had a lead uh, going into the, the to the primary voting, um, and certainly I think this sets up to be as as we know with most runoffs, it sets up to be a very uh, interesting race and probably a very contentious race with a lot of money being uh, brought to bear both from outside groups as well as Oklahomans who will uh, um, coalesce behind one of these two candidates with the effort and focus to defeat Kendra Horn in November and to take back the seat for the Republicans. Ryan. Well, first, congratulations to Congresswoman Horn, uh, who's now the Democratic nominee again uh, for the fifth district. Uh, you know, she's going to she's walked into that with with an overwhelming victory against uh, a perennial candidate, Tom Guild. And, you know, now she's got you know about two million dollars in the bank uh, and is going to get to sit back and watch one of probably the, the most negative primary runoffs uh, that we've seen in a very long time. I mean, this this is going to because we're seeing a lot of outside money. Uh, it's not necessarily just going to be Bice and Nice throwing money at each other, uh, although I'm sure that that will happen as well. But you're going to see a lot of outside groups, uh, probably on both sides between Bice uh, and Nice. And this is that, you know, if we looked at where uh, I think that I think that Senator Bice is in trouble here. Um, you know, she the the primary electorate, the Republican primary electorate, electorate in Oklahoma and CD5, extraordinarily conservative. The runoff electorate is going to be just your, your red meat, uh, even, even more, cons- you know, like the, the most conservative of the conservative are going to turn out. And that's where I think Nice does the best. Uh, you know, Stephanie Bice has tried to run uh, herself as, as a conservative, you know, Trumpian 
uh, you know, build the wall, you know, no to Obamacare uh, candidate. But that's just really not, you know, it doesn't seem genuine. I mean, she's in a lot of respects has been kind of a moderate out at the legislature among the Republican caucus in the Senate. Now, of course, a moderate in the Oklahoma Republican caucus <laughs> in the Senate doesn't make you a liberal by any means. But, you know, Terry Neese, I think, is able able to claim that far right mantle uh, in a way that Stephanie Weiss just can't. Uh, and, you know, Terry Neese also doesn't have you know, hundreds, if not thousands of votes to pick through to be able to make a case that Stephanie Bice is just not conservative enough for this runoff electorate. She's got a, a long road to go between now and, and August if she's going to be able to, to best Nice. Uh, I would, if I were a betting person right now, I'd, I'd put my money on, on Nice coming out of that runoff. Well, one thing to remember also when we talk about outside money and just the, the, the heavy spending on both sides, primaries, runoffs, and then into the general election, is that this is this is a top five race nationally uh, among the congressional races. So we will see extraordinary amounts of money uh, being, being brought to bear, not only in the runoff, but uh, when we get to the general election. I mean, this will be something where there will be intense focus, a lot of national attention, and something where there will be a lot of spending, and a lot of that will come from out of the state of Oklahoma on both sides. Probably, you know, $10 million plus yeah. uh, at the end of the day on uh, from inside and outside groups. Former Oklahoma City television news reporter Abby Broyles wins the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate, defeating three other candidates in the race. She will face longtime incumbent Senator Jim Inhofe in November. Ryan, what are Broyles' chances in the general election? Yeah, I think if you're a Democrat and you're running statewide in Oklahoma, it's always an uphill battle, uh, it, especially so in a presidential year. But if you look at what Abby Broyles has been able to do with with her fundraising and with you know raising her uh, her name profile as a political candidate, uh, both in Oklahoma and nationally, uh, this this could set up, especially with a lot of the money coming in. We were just talking about the fifth congressional district. There's going to probably be you know millions spent from outside Democratic groups to try to save that seat. That's going to try to boost turnout in the Oklahoma County uh, area in particular. And so, I mean, this is, you know, I don't want to say that it's a slam dunk for, for Abby Broyles by any means, but sh- this is a competitive U.S. Senate race. And Oklahomans are going to see a competitive U.S. Senate race in a very long, the, the most competitive that they've seen in a very long time. Neva. I don't see the race being competitive. I think when you look at uh, Jim Inhofe, his numbers on Tuesday evening, 74% of the vote uh, with uh, three Republican challengers, someone who, who's been on the ballot, obviously, multiple times. But I think he I think he clearly set the stage for what the contrast will be between he and uh between he and Abby Broyles in the in the general election, and that is the choice to the voters between conservative standing up for conservative values, or as he described it, following the Pelosi path to radical socialism. I think it will be that stark a contrast. I think it will be that uh, that uh, key of a point in the campaign, and I think we'll see that the that the issues that have already been in the uh, Congressional races will continue in this Senate race uh, into the fall, talking about uh, the socialist agenda on open borders, uh, taxpayer taxpayer funding of abortion, uh, government control of health care, the Green New Deal. Those are all of the things that Jim Inhofe is going to talk about. I think when Oklahoma voters uh, look at the contrast and see the comparison on the issues, I think that's where uh, the Democrats still has a very, very tall mountain to climb. Tuesday's election also saw a, a state uh, state representatives, at least uh, four state representatives, legislative incumbents getting defeated or heading to runoffs. Neva, let's start with you. Where were there any other races getting your attention? 
Well, there, I mean, there were a number. I mean, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of what appeared to be close races as it came down to the final stretch. We saw three uh, state senators pushed into runoffs. Uh, uh, Senator Ron Sharp uh, I- against uh, former state representative Shane Jett. We saw Senator Paul Scott uh, uh, pushed into a runoff, as well as Senator Larry Boggs. So those will be interesting. Uh, those will be interesting things to watch. And we saw some. Uh, uh, some changes uh, in the primaries with uh, former uh, Representative Rick West beating uh, Representative Lund- Lundy Tiger. We saw uh, first term Representative Daryl Fincher uh, being uh, beat by 10 points uh, in uh, in his uh, first reelection. And then we had some folks that uh, came down to the wire that were uh, in in hot contest that pulled it out. I mean, uh, Representative A.J. Pittman was a race that that many people were watching, came down to uh, just a little over 200 vote margin between the uh, the two. But she uh, she was uh, uh, she prevailed over her uh, uh, opponent. And I think uh, I think there were some other races, such as uh, Representative Chris Sneed that we talked about before, who was running against former Representative George Fought. Many thought that would be a very close uh, contest and perhaps even an upset, but it wound up that uh, Representative Sneed came back with a 60-40% uh, win on Tuesday evening. Uh, Ryan, uh, certainly in Oklahoma City, a big shakeup there. Yeah, I mean, with with Maury Turner winning HD88 over three-term incumbent Jason Dunnington, you know, Neva and I, whenever we first talked about you know the races to watch, you know, we said HD88 was going to, was going to be yeah. one to watch. Primarily because what you had was a young, progressive, Muslim, uh, self-described queer person running for a rate, running for the most progressive liberal seat in the state, or perhaps the most liberal legislative seat in the state, against Jason Dunnington, who, in spite of you know, you know a, hand, a handful of accomplishments during his six terms in the legislature, was a very moderate voice compared to that electorate in HD eighty eight. So when when Mari you pulled that out. Uh, that victory out last night, uh, their campaign and uh, their campaign staff, I think, have a lot to celebrate. I mean, that's uh, that's an enormous victory. Uh, and I think that it, it does represent a, a real change in the terms of representation uh, and presence at the state capitol. Of course, they still have a uh, a general election, but HD 88 is you know, heavily Democratic. And I don't think there's any uh, any doubt that Maury Turner, uh, you know, barring some enormous upset, uh, that Maury Turner is going to be the next state representative for HD 88. Ron Sharp coming in second place, uh, you know, incumbent state senator over in Pottawatomie County to former state representative and, and, and my good friend, Representative Shane Jett. Uh, you know, that's going to be, I think, a very heated runoff running in there, um, you know, to talk about these two um, well-known, you know, possibly well-funded uh, Senate camp Senate candidates duking it out with uh with and that's that's something you know to see an incumbent walk into a runoff in second place uh, is pretty exceptional i mean and even even Mari turner's win last night i saw some folks on twitter say that they felt that that was probably the first time that they could remember in 20 years that a democratic incumbent had lost in a primary uh so you know last night you know was it was a strange and hard night for for a lot of incumbents out there and one of the things that we saw was was really low turnout especially in a lot of those rural legislative districts and that can just upset models and and 
you know, make make these races very unpredictable. Talking about Mari Turner's uh, uh, defeat of uh, Representative Jason Dunnington, uh, it was close. I mean, uh, I think 250 votes uh, uh, separating them. But it is clear that when you start looking at these races, we talk about Republicans and primaries and who runs to the right. I mean, and how far they they get out there to win a nomination and then uh, see what see how that uh, sets up if there's a general election. In this instance, you had you had a case where Turner ran to the left, the hard left of uh, Dunnington. And uh, in that district, as we've talked about, I mean, it may be the bluest district in the uh, state, certainly in the metropolitan area here. And I think that uh, I, I think that it is uh, a reflection of what Democrats are beginning to experience in some of their primaries that we have that we have seen for quite some time on the Republican side, as they have Biden very competitive uh, Republican primaries. A record number of Oklahomans chose to vote absentee rather than heading to the polls amid rising COVID-19 numbers. The election board says it received nearly 122,000 mail-in ballots with more than 61,000 coming from Democrats and more than 50,000 from Republicans. Ryan, your thoughts on these numbers? You know, there's there's a great piece in the Oklahoman that talks a lot about the experience of Aaron Wilder. Aaron Wilder, uh, campaign manager for Maury Turner's successful HD88 campaign, and Aaron was uh, went to actually watch the counting of the absentee ballot process under the Open Meetings Act, act and documented it on Facebook. Um, and I think you know, there's a huge number of absentee ballots that came in. Congratulations to the election board on getting that out, and you know, kudos to the election board in, in general for their for the election results dashboard that they had up on their on their website. I mean, that was incredibly convenient for those of us out there hitting refresh over and over and over and over, <laughs> and over well into the evening. Um, but I think that the absentee number should have been a lot higher. Um, you know, frankly, I mean, we I think that it's a reflection of low turnout in general. I mean, we, we saw, you know, around a third of Oklahoma voters show up to this election. You know, 200,000 fewer voters uh, than showed up in the 2018 primary. Now, I, I, you know, it's it's speculation as, as to how many of that 200,000 gap is is a result of uh, folks you know staying home because of COVID. Um, but I'd like to think that you know, marijuana is as big of a supporter of marijuana as I am. I'd, I'd like to think that marijuana doesn't just bring 200,000 extra voters out, that, that, that some of that slice was at home because of COVID um, and they should have been able to participate in an easier absentee process. The absentee process was still cumbersome. It was still confusing. And we really ought to we ought to have universal vote by mail increase these percentage numbers so that we're talking when we're talking about these election returns, we're not talking about a third of Oklahomans, but we're talking about, you know, a half or better. Neva. I, I think what we're seeing is the very predictable pattern of primary voters. I mean, a third of them, a third of Oklahomans turning out to the polls. We have low participation in primaries. Of that, we saw the uptick in absentee voting, which uh, there had been a lot of conversation about. There actually, uh, it was slightly lower in the in-person voting, uh, some of that could be uh, maybe attributed to the fact in the metropolitan uh, areas, they did not have multiple locations. They had the only one location per county uh, based on the restrictions and the issues over uh, concerns of social distancing and, and all of that. But when you look at the difference between 2018 and 2020, let's remember that on the ballot in 2018, we had every single race from governor all the way down, secondary races, and on down into the uh, the lower ballots 
that were all contested, had primary contests. So it was a much more uh, it was a much more robust season politically with a lot more races uh, at hand, including a very, very spirited governor's race. So I think you have to look at the numbers. And and as you make these comparisons, you have to reflect on what really was driving it. And in this instance, uh, we had much shorter ballots uh, with what what uh, Oklahoma moments we're coming out to vote on across the board this year than we did two years ago. There was a lot more talk in the media about mail-in ballots, about absentee ballot voting. There was always uh, mentions in the Oklahoma, and of course we did stories, and of course there's the Supreme Court decision. So there's a lot of things in the the, the following uh, legislative action. There was a lot of news about it. So do you think that might have put that in people's minds also, hey, I could just vote away from the ballot? Oh, I think so. And I think it's reflected. I mean, if you double the the uh, uh, absentee voting over two years ago, I mean, that's a significant thing, regardless of the percentages or how many actual ballots we're talking about. It's still a shift in voter thinking in terms of I maybe I don't want to go to the polls and stand in line. Maybe I want to take advantage of this. And it's not a cumbersome or tedious process when people, you know, understand it and get the ballot and 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 uh, and return it uh, by mail or take the opportunity to do early in-person voting, which was still uh, still available. And many Oklahomans took advantage of that on uh, on the three days uh, that 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 was open prior to the uh, Tuesday vote. And Ryan, if this still is going on, if the COVID-19 is still going on in November, uh, what are your expectations for either more mail-in ballots or, I mean, it's going to be crowded. It's there's going to be presidential races bring a lot of people to the the polling stations. Yeah, I mean, I I think that what we're going to see is a lot of leadership from uh, from campaigns, from candidate campaigns and outside groups that are going to be doing a lot of absentee voter um, application, uh, drives, and then, you know, getting folks to get those completed. You know, I think that candidates are and campaign, uh, staff are recognizing more and more that you can win these elections, uh, with absentee ballots, you know, getting votes in the bank early, um, is, uh, is become just a, uh, a critical part of any get out the vote strategy. Uh, You know, so get out the vote strategies used to focus, only on election day, and then we saw a little bit focusing, you know, more on, on in-person uh, absentee ballots. Uh, and you know, now we're really seeing these mail-in ballot campaigns. Um, and it is, it is. I mean, I know that it's uh, it's not impossible to vote absentee, but there are still some hurdles there. Uh, and as somebody who is involved in the Supreme Court case and who is involved in the, the you know, you know, followed the legislation, it was, you know, and as somebody who voted absentee, the the form itself is, is kind of confusing. You get like a whole bunch of sheets of paper in, you got to figure out which ones to, to mark, you know, where to put it in and where do you get the uh, the photocopier? Do you go to a notary? You know, there are still some hurdles there that I think are unnecessary that we could remove. Um, and, and frankly, you know, what would be great because we know COVID's still going to be here. We know there's probably, you know, we're experiencing an enormous spike right now. There's probably going to be an even bigger spike in the fall and into the winter. Uh, what would be great is if the state would get its act together between now and then and mail absentee uh, absentee ballot applications or absentee ballots to every registered voter in the state of Oklahoma. And let's give folks an opportunity to just vote by mail uh, and stay home in November and watch the returns uh, safe uh, without having to expose themselves or poll workers. If only a third of Oklahomans saw, the, saw and had enough interest to 
to exercise their right to vote on Tuesday. I mean, we'll see probably half that number come back out in seven weeks for the Republican and Democrat runoffs. Uh, that's the real that's the real conversation here is why we cannot do a better job of getting Oklahomans to understand the the tremendous opportunity and privilege they have to exercise their voice and have their their vote counted by actually getting to the polls. And so that's the challenge. We'll see an uptick as we always do. November presidential years in Oklahoma, we have a much more a significant turnout. But even then, it's abysmal compared to what we see across the country. We're one of the lowest voting states. And, and that is an education process that has less to do about absentee ballots or in person and more about just the value and the and the privilege and opportunity to be able to exercise their right to vote, period. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.